If you could go back to the city of Jerusalem during Bible times, the biggest thing you'd see is the temple. This beautiful building was designed by King David and built by King Solomon, and they believed that it was the home of the God of the universe. Wait, I thought God's home was in heaven. Well, the whole point of this earthly temple is that it's the place that overlaps with God's heavenly home. The temple is where God lives and rules all creation as king. That's cool, but even Solomon, who built the temple, didn't believe that it could contain the God of the universe, right? Yeah, the building was just a symbol, and it pointed to the fact that all of creation is God's temple. And that's actually what the first page of the Bible, Genesis 1, is all about. Really? It says that creation is God's temple? Well, it doesn't need to say it. The whole story shows it. In Genesis 1, God creates an ordered world out of a dark wasteland by speaking in a series of seven days. Then on the seventh day, God's presence fills creation as he takes up his rest and rule. Similarly, the tabernacle and later the temple were built and dedicated in a series of seven speeches and seven days, after which the priest or king could rest and rule in God's presence. Ah, so all of creation is where God intends to dwell. It's like his temple. Exactly. Now, turn the page to Genesis 2 and we get another portrait of creation. This one focuses in on the land. And in the center of the land is a region called Eden, which in Hebrew means delight. And in the middle of delight, God plants a garden in which God and humanity live together. And that's why the temple was modeled after the garden, filled with imagery of gold and flowers. The menorah symbolized the tree of life. It's the place where God dwells with his people. Oh, got it. And check this out. In the temple, the Israelite priests and Levites were to work and to keep the temple in God's presence. This is exactly the job description given to humanity in the Garden of Eden. So these humans were the first priests. But instead of ruling with God, they wanted to rule on their own terms, and they're exiled from the Garden Temple. And like Adam and Eve, Israel's leaders also wanted to rule on their own terms, and they too were exiled. The temple was destroyed, and this left them wondering, did God give up on Israel? Will God bring about a new creation? Well, the biblical prophets anticipated the day when God would create a new temple with a new priesthood. That's when God's presence would fill all of creation. And when the Israelites returned to the land, they did rebuild the temple. But that temple didn't turn out the way the prophets hoped. In fact, later Israelite prophets said that this temple was hopelessly corrupt. So they're still waiting for the ultimate temple. And here we come to the story of Jesus. He said that through him, God's presence and rule was coming into our world in a new way. And he presented himself as a new kind of priest. But Jesus wasn't a priest and he didn't work in the temple. Right, Jesus said that God's presence, his rest and rule was filling the world through his own life, death and resurrection. Jesus was claiming that he was the true temple, and this new temple would expand out to include all of creation. That's a really big claim. And it got even bigger. After his resurrection, Jesus said that God's presence would come to dwell in and among his followers so that they would become mini temples. Communities of people where God rests and rules. Exactly. This is the Bible's vision of the church, which is described as a temple. Not a building, but people. Yeah, like when Peter says, you all are living stones built up as a temple for God's spirit to dwell. So at the end of the story, 
Do we ever get a new physical temple? Well, not exactly. What we see is a renewed cosmic temple, just like Genesis 1. And this new creation doesn't need a temple building because through Jesus, all creation is now the place where God rests and rules the world with his people. So I want to begin this morning by sharing a passage because we need the Holy Spirit this morning. We need him to translate to us. We need him to explain to us. We need him to, to guide us and lead us. We need him to, to usher us into this understanding. And, and so I want to begin in 2 Timothy this morning. I'm going to try to share with you what's, what's been on my heart. I want to talk about this new temple and in doing so, I want to try to bring you into a tour, if you will. Right? So let me read this. Second Timothy verse chapter two, verse twenty. Second Timothy chapter two, verse twenty. It says this. Paul writes this to Timothy. Now in a great house. There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So we just watched that video and I originally began at this place that I wanted to explain to you and share with you the realities of this new temple, right? But I, I think in this room, we understand that this new temple is actually, well, you and me, right? That the scriptures actually say that, that we are living stones, that we are the foundation and the building and the reality of this new temple, right? And that's kind of where I began, trying, trying to kind of explain this eternal reality through the presence and power of the Spirit, through the work of Christ, kind of rebuilding this new temple. But my imagery there kind of takes me to the outside of the temple, right? Being built up, being being. That's the actual presence where God lives and works and his presence overflows and pours out. But I, my imagination started to actually taking me inside of this temple. Now, in every one of our lives, <clears throat> whether it be our backpack, our car, our pockets, our homes, we have and we carry with ourselves items. We carry with ourselves what I like to say a little more particularly is we carry stories, right? If you go into someone's house and you look around the house, you're going to find stories that are particular and, and important to them. It's how we decorate our house, right? Sometimes, sometimes, usually, almost always, I think it's a story, right? And I'm not even going to, let me just start bare minimum, bare simple. Right? You ever have a conversation when people are repainting their house? You have any, do any of you have those stories of the story of, of how you came to the conclusion of what your walls are going to look like? 
I want you to know that husbands and wives have had more arguments over the colors of those walls. And in and of itself, that's almost the story. What color? How about this color? Why that color? Well, maybe it highlights the furniture. What furniture? Well, the furniture we're going to buy. Oh, we don't have the furniture yet. Now we're buying furniture and the argument continues. Right? What color? Paint this. We're going to do this. I want to, I kind of, and we have all these visions. Right? And in real time, the story is being created as we try to live it out. Maybe that color is favorite color. Maybe it's a, a peaceful color. Maybe, maybe it's, 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 it's a reminder, a nostalgic moment of, of, of something that you previously had in your life. There are things in my life that I, had, that I had stripped and stolen from me. Stories, not items, but items that when I touched them, they, they reminded me of the stories that I loved, the stories that I lived. That when they were stolen, it was as if those stories were stolen from my life. And as an adult, when I've had finances or, or, or been able to spare some, some extra dollars, I've been able to repurchase those items and reconnect to those stories that mattered. I want to be very, very clear. <clears throat> the item is worthless. Yeah. The item is worthless. But the story that they, it represented, the, the, the memory, the, the, the living it, the emotional, right? The, 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 the realities of, of what has shaped me, the experiences that have shaped us. Reclaiming that item was like a huge, in certain circumstances, just like a huge blessing from the Lord. That that which was stolen, that which was, that was the enemy stole and, 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 and left scars in the power of Christ was forgiven and healed. In Acts chapter 3, 4, 5, you're going to see, you're going to see people selling all that they have to be part of this community. Now, in Acts chapter 5, we're actually going to see people who actually sell all that they have to try to create this community. But see, what Acts 3, 4, and 5 is about is not about people trying to create this community. It's about people selling all that they have to be this community. And see, there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference when we try to mimic and build what we, what we think God is or we think God should be rather than letting the Holy Spirit actually create this reality in us. Acts chapter, the beginning of Acts is so profound. It is so profound because it cannot be done in, with human intention. Every initiative needs a leader. I want to be very, very clear about this. Every human initiative needs a leader. And in Acts chapter 5, you're going to see two people who want to be that leader. Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira. They want to be the leader. They have the finances to do so. They can build the business. They have, in their mind, they have the know-how. They have the esteem. They have the privilege. They have what they need to actually be elevated in, be in, be in an elevated role and position in this new temple. So they use what they have, their gifts and their talents, to try to do so. 
but their motives are not pure. See, and this is the difference in building God's temple. What's going to happen here in the early book of Acts in building this temple? The Holy Spirit is going to lead. See, every human initiative needs a leader. And so we as humans think that that leader has to be, well, human. And so we're always looking for that leader. We're always looking for someone to make those decisions. We're always looking for, for, for someone to show us what to do. But for the first time in all of history, people are going to choose to follow the Holy Spirit. Well, what does he look like? I don't know. What does he sound like? I don't know. Well, how do you know that he's speaking to you? Because I know. Yeah. Because, because I, I hear him speaking to me. And, and, and I feel him moving. And, and, and I know what, who Jesus is. And, 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 well, can you explain it to me? Well, kind of. Right? I, I can kind of give you the roadmap. Right? Begin with Jesus. Begin with Jesus. But this is where things get very, very interesting because the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you in a way that is relevant to you. The reason why amazing one and amazing two don't quite understand each other is because your understanding of God and your understanding of your own personal gifts are different. See, if that person were just like you, you think they were amazing. You think they were amazing. This is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I haven't seen it among this community, but it is one of the funniest things I've ever seen when young people date, right? And they're out looking for someone to, to marry. Have you ever seen a couple date that, that they look exactly like each other? Everything they do, they just get along so perfectly. Wow, we both love going to the same place. We both, we both love doing the exact same things. We both... And you literally laugh because you look at each other. You don't love each other. You love yourself. You are so in love with you that you're looking for someone that you find just as amazing as you. And it's so perplexing. But what happens when you find someone that, someone who is so amazing who is radically different than you? Radically different. Let's see, your posture changes, and now you begin to listen. And you begin to, you begin to learn. You begin to, I don't know, scratch your head to try to understand, you know, how they come to those conclusions. See, I, I've been in these relationships with people that I know love Jesus, and they follow Jesus, but they're doing things and having experiences that I've never had before. And my humanity wants to say, I disagree with you. You know, you're wrong or, or, or I, don't, I don't get that, right? And I have this like natural polarity to be like, I'm in a relationship where I'm like massively understood, right? Because I don't understand. They don't understand me and, and I'm trying. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, you're just like, I know you love Jesus. So what you're saying is something for me to know about God, you are so radically different than me. And if you love Jesus and I love Jesus and the Holy Spirit is moving through you and the Holy Spirit is moving through me, then if I actually learn to understand and love you, I get to learn to understand more about who God is in the world. <laughs> and that's a radical place to be. Because 
Well, this is what the church is supposed to be. I can't, the older I get, I'm discovering the less I'm able to do. I'm noticing that my energy levels are radically less. I'm noticing that my priorities call for radical more energy. Those of you who have kids, they just call for a lot of energy. Those of you who have more than one child, you need more miracles than anyone I've ever met. Right? Getting out of bed is like a miracle. I love you. Go do something else. Right? Right now, please go do something else. And I'm just realizing how, how the reason why this new temple is being built, the reason why each and every one of you in this room who have given your life to Christ, why you're being a fashioned stone of this new temple is because this is God's glory. Because none of us were designed to do it alone. We're designed to be his, his consummate glory as one. But this is just it. <clears throat> Living faith only works. The church only works if we fall under the guidance of Holy Spirit himself. That doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit won't use people. This is exactly what it means. He's going to use people. But see, we end up in this early book of Acts. They are trusting each other like, like people have never trusted each other before. And, 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 and the floodgates are just being opened. Almost like, almost like this, this, this childlike trust is just flowing through, through people's lives. And the Holy Spirit is literally involved in, in, in everything. I'm going to tell you right now, and you can write this down. I might be wrong, but I think right now in the early book of Acts, the Holy Spirit's just micromanaging. Just micromanaging. Now, that might sound like a bad term. Oh, why is everyone, why, right? You ever have a micromanaging boss? Oh my goodness. Telling me everything to do. Telling me everything to do. When you're a mature adult, you don't need to be micromanaged because you understand the purpose and vision of your life. But when you're a child, you need to be micromanaged because you are not able to understand or be responsible with the resources and the talents you've been given. You're still growing in them. They're still developing, right? Now, micromanaging, some of us as parents are, are, are really, really good micromanagers, right? Oh my word, I love what you were, I love what you created. What would you do next time, right? Some of us are bad micromanagers. I see that you can really do a lot better, right? Some of us are great micromanagers. Some of us are great micromanagers. Oh my word, you got a B plus on your spelling test. You got eight out of 10 right. That's fantastic. Some of us are, are, are bad micromanagers. Wow, oh, you got a B plus. What two words did you get wrong? Right? And, and, and sometimes we don't understand. Sometimes we, we misinterpret the Holy Spirit's voice. That is, we're trying to live and trying to follow him. And sometimes in the voice of the enemy, this is not God, I want you to know. But the enemy comes in and tries to sound like God and just tries to keep pointing out where you're falling. And it's typically 
This is not God's voice, but it's usually the enemy's. And we become so accepting of it because we've heard it before through human voices in our lives. Following the Spirit is extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult in a world that denies his voice, that, that, that fills. Have you ever been in a room where people just can't shut up? I know I shouldn't say shut up. That's like derogatory, but people just can't stop talking. If you haven't been in that place, just, just, just turn on the news. We live in a world where people cannot stop talking. And it's not positive. It's like living in today's society is like being stuck in a room with complainers. It's just constant drip, drip, drip. And you know what happens if you live your life in a room of complainers? My friends, you are going to start to complain. Live in a room with, 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 with a bunch of people that's, that are entitled. That all you hear is entitlement. Guess what? Your voice is going to become a voice of entitlement. Surround yourself with people who are just constant victims. And you know what you're going to become? You're going to become a voice of being a victim. Surround yourself with people who submit themselves to the pursuit of truth and the pursuit of, 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 of redemption and forgiveness and the direction and power of the Holy Spirit. You want to know who you're going to become? You're going to, you're going to become a new creature. And you're going to become part of the temple of the living God. This is why we gather together. Because we need your voices here under the direction of the Holy Spirit to be so prominent in our lives. In a couple hours, we're going back out there. What voices are you surrounding yourself by? What voice are you most listening to? I was watching those of you who recall the, the book and the old movie. What is it? Um, Hunger Games. Yeah. I'm not recommending this. This is not. I'm not telling you to go watch this with your kids by any means. But Sharon and I were watching it. And there's this one scene in the closing chapters of, of this story where one of the one of the, the heroes, one of the, the champions of the story has been brainwashed so deeply and so so profoundly. He doesn't know what's real anymore. And they simply say to him, when you don't know what is real, you ask the people that you trust what is true. And he just goes through these things over and over again. You know, do you love me? True or not true? True. This person's trying to get me. True or not true? Not true. See, you and I, each and every one of us, are so easily deceived that unless we surround ourselves that are willing to tell us the truth and help us to see the truth, we will grasp on the lies and self-protect. And it only leads to our own destruction. This is what I hope this community is. One thing I love about living faith is the way, the way that we come and we try to let the Holy Spirit lead, try to let the Holy Spirit speak, try to let the Holy Spirit guide Please pray for me. Please help guide me. I'm having this temptation. I'm struggling here. And, and, and one of the most 
powerful realities in, in this spiritual temple, my friends, is this, is to know beyond a doubt that you don't know. This is a profound reality. See, we need to go to the scriptures and we need to go to each other. We need to surround ourselves with truth to keep reminding us what we know, who we know, the truth that we know. When you're filled with shame, is this from God? True or untrue? Untrue. When you're filled with, with guilt, fear, is this from God? True or not true? Not true. It doesn't mean what you're feeling isn't real. It doesn't mean what you're feeling, you're, what you're feeling is real. But my friends, in Christ, it's not true. It's not true. Because we're loved. Because we're ushered into this beautiful and amazing kingdom. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3. So in this house, there are many items. If we go and look in our house, we all have items that have value to us. We all have that items that are more common or more normal. I want to point out, if I have a little bit of time here, I want to point out to you the items in this temple, the items in God's house. Because this is how we recognize what the Holy Spirit is doing. This is how we recognize this beautiful temple that we're part of. This is going to be in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and I have no gold. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I want to point out just a couple of things here. For days and days and days and years and years and years, amazing one walks past amazing two and doesn't see it. This lame beggar is laying here outside the temple. I'm going to bet you it's not his first time. This is a part of his daily ritual. This is when you're on the way to the temple, you can expect to see 
Him. I assume he has a name. It's not given to us. On the way to the temple, and here he is, like clockwork. Maybe I gave something to him last time we came to the temple. So this time, I'm just kind of kind of nod, say hi, walk on past. Maybe I'm so tired of seeing him there. This is the entrance to the temple. It's called the beautiful gate. Why is the beautiful gate littered with this trash? And so I walk past. I don't want to see. Right? An amazing one. Let me tell you about amazing one. No matter who you are walking through this gate going into the temple, if you have any life experience that's similar to mine, on some level, you love yourself. On some level, no matter what your life experiences are, no matter what your hardships are, no matter what your self-judgments, self-proclamations are, you find yourself amazing in some way. Why? Because you think that you and I, we tend to think that we're more often right than we are wrong. If I'm going to follow anyone's advice, it's going to be my own. I'm going to trust me. Right? So even though I might be able to not come to the conclusion that I am amazing, maybe my ego won't let me say those words. I love myself. You love yourself. We all have this desire to love ourselves and lift ourselves up a little bit higher than anyone else. And this gentleman who's laying in the, in the doorway makes it quite easy for us. Because at least I'm not him. I'm a little bit more amazing. You ever notice how in, 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 in the world of noise that we listen to, amazing is like, is like this scale, right? Like you're not just amazing. You're either amazing, you know, you're amazing or you're not. It's like, oh, I'm a little amazing, right? Oh, and they're less amazing. You know, my son's, you know, little friend is a little bully. You know, he doesn't pick on the other kids. Well, why? Well, because he's able to throw Kai down. He's not able to throw the other boys down. See, see the other boys are, are, are maybe equally amazing as him or, or more amazing, but Kai's less amazing, so he can kind of throw him down. And we all do this, right? We, amazing is like, like this scale. Bob, you are amazing. We love you, and you are amazing. But I got you to know, I, I really want you to know that compared to Dwayne The Rock Johnson, eh, you're amazing, but let's be honest, Dwayne The Rock Johnson's pretty amazing, right? Let's just put you guys side by side, right? Who do you want to be on your football team? Who do you want as an investor? Who do you want to go to lunch with? We tend to see amazing on this like scale. Right? Those of you who are in a relationship, those of you who have been married, those moments that your spouse or, or, or your children, when they're just so amazing. Those other days when they're not so amazing. Right? And the way the scale moves up and down. But you know what the Bible says? In Christ, you're amazing. In Christ, you're a celebrity. You know, you guys are choosing Bob over the rock. Do you know Why? Because Bob's amazing. The Rock is, is not any more amazing. 
But see, our world tries to tell you what amazing is. And this is what's happening. You walking into the temple and you're being forced to decide who's more amazing. Am I more amazing or is he more amazing? Well, I'm clearly a little more amazing. As a matter of fact, I'm going to show you how amazing I am. I'm going to, I'm going to give him some alms today. I just feel a little bit more amazing. Yeah. <laughs> right? This is what happens in Acts chapter 5. This confusion. Of who's amazing and how amazing? Peter's walking in. And this individual is here. Now, I want you to understand. I'm, I'm going to go backwards through this passage. Everyone's filled with amazement. Everyone is filled with amazement. When he is healed, amazing one now sees amazing two. As clear as day. Amazing two was sitting there just as amazing yesterday in God's sight as he is today. And this power of the redemptive work in his life, it is not amazing to me that everyone's amazed at this miracle that God just did. But it is amazing to me that now, today, after he's healed, now people see it. God is doing a work every single day, all the time. The question is, can we see it? Can we see it? Can we be part of it? And so now he's healed and amazing ones. He's amazing too. As a matter of fact, he's the most amazing guy in the room. Just minutes before, <clears throat> minutes before, this is the guy that we walked past. This is, the minutes, this is the guy no one believed in. This is the guy who was less amazing. Now he's the most amazing. This is the person, right? Everyone's completely, <clears throat> what in the world has happened? And something amazing happens. He stands up and he walks. And you know what he does for his very first thing he does? He goes into the temple. His very, very first trek on these new legs is to go where the people of God are going. <laughs> He wants to be a part of this amazing thing. He wants to be a part of what God is doing. <clears throat> he doesn't jump up, run home and show his family. Nothing wrong with that. He doesn't jump up and, I don't know, what are his options? He goes into the temple, most likely, for the very first time. Going into the presence of God for the very first time. He uses his newfound strength to go and learn and be and continue his new life, not into the temple, my friends, actually now being the temple. And it's Peter. All this because Peter's walking into the temple. Peter sees. See, when we talk about this house, when we talk about this temple, I really like the video because the, the video talked about these items, these items of gold and, and the representations of the tree of life. What, in, as in our homes, what's, what do we see hanging around this, this, this new temple of God? I'll tell you what we see. We see, we see confidence. 
If you could take confidence in God, if you could take encouragement in God, if you could take hope in God and hang it on your wall or hang it around your neck, that's what's in this new temple. See, Peter sees this individual and now being part of this new temple, he has access to things that he never had access to before. Confidence, hope, vision. He doesn't look at this individual and say, oh, oh. He doesn't say, okay, I've been with Jesus now for several years, right? He's been training us. Oh, Jesus isn't here this time. I'm going to give this a go. Stand up and walk. Hmm, nothing. Hold on, hold on. Stand up and walk. Nothing. Like, how do I have to, maybe I have to open up, you know, relax the joints. Just stand up and walk. Hmm. It's like Spider-Man on his first day of work. How do you get these things, how do you get this to go? Go, Web, go. You know, there's something in this moment, his, 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 his being, te- being the actual part of the temple. He just says, in the name of Jesus, you're healed. He saw what God was doing. He saw what Jesus was doing, and he stepped into that moment. There's something very, very powerful <laughs> that takes place in building and being part of this new temple, my friends. It takes people who are waiting for God to come, and it takes people who are willing to be God coming. Stepping into that moment. Peter could have walked past. And no one would have questioned him. No one would have questioned him. Not even the gentleman laying there by the road would have. Hey, Peter, why didn't you, why didn't you stop and heal that guy? Who? Peter saw what God is doing in building this new temple. And in this moment, he picks up a brick. He picks up a stone that's ready to be fashioned, ready to be fashioned for this moment, this time and space. Now, I want to point out something very, very interesting to you because this moment, it's called the beautiful gate. This is very perplexing to me, and I want to tell you why. If you look at the Greek in this moment, they call it the beautiful gate. And I'm sorry, I don't think this is right. Sorry. I, I, I don't. I, I, I don't think it's right. I mean, I think it's exactly what they meant to write. But I don't think it's, I don't think we re, we're reading it in the way that they meant to write it. See, there, this word beautiful is only used three times in the New Testament, in the Greek. Only three times. And if you look at this Greek word, it actually, well, first off, this beautiful gate actually does have a name. It's called the, most scholars agree, it's the Nicanor, the Nicanor gate. And Nicanor is actually the, the, the Greek architect who was brought in to redesign and, and make this beautiful, ornate gate. And, and if my understanding is correct, 
right? This gate is actually being refashioned sometime very close to now. It's being redesigned by this man named Nicanor. And even if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, this gate, Nicanor hasn't yet begun the renovation on it. So this Nicanor architect, this, 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 this gentleman who's going to design this, um, is going to do so somewhere around the middle of the first century. The temple is going to be destroyed in AD 70. We know when Christ died and was buried and resurrected. So we're somewhere around 33, 34, 35 AD. So, so I don't know how long it would have taken him to redesign this or build it. But if this is happening and we know when Pentecost was, at best, this gate, had nothing's been done to it yet. So whatever they're calling this gate, whether it has a name, I don't know. We know it's going to be called the Nicanor Gate. But this word beautiful, which, by the way, again, it's not called the beautiful gate in the Greek. It's simply called the passageway. Now listen to this. It's simply called the passageway belonging to the right hour or season. The passageway belonging to the right hour or the right season. By implication, flourishing, blooming, most specifically used of the human body. This is literally the Greek translation and use of this word. I'll tell you what I think is happening here. I think this is Luke specifically choosing, it's okay, Aaron, specifically choosing to call this gate not what it was or not what it became because uh, I lost Justin here, but whenever, by the time Luke is writing this, it would be the Nicanor gate. And it's perfect opportunity and it's perfect timing and it's perfect will. This is exactly what Luke is saying. The believers during this time gathering in the temple, they are the ones calling this the beautiful gate. And I think it's because of this moment. I think because when Luke is writing this, this moment redefined the power of who God is, the power of what God was doing. This is at the gate of the temple. God is building a new temple. It's not, it's not, we're not, we're not going to call it the Nicanor gate. This, this, this gentleman who comes in and fashions it with Corinthian. We're, we're not going to call it that. We are going to remember the moment and the time that God stepped into human history. And we're going to look at this gentleman who in his perfect timing and will was brought and healed in God's perfect timing. I would think it'd be very, very difficult. I want you to know. In my life experience, there is nothing more difficult. I'm just going to be honest here for a second. I want you to know that, that in my life experience, nothing more difficult than waiting on the timing of God. There's nothing more difficult than waiting on the timing of God. See, struggles in our lives would be much more bearable if we knew that they had an ending point, And they do. 
But we are not willing to wait because in our moments of struggle, in our moments of pain, we lose sight of God's timeline. We lose sight. If anyone's going to be angry, if anyone's going to be tired of laying by this gate, this beautiful place, this time of perfect season, this time of perfect season of life change was never going to happen if he gave up. My friends, each and every one of us, you want to know what the temple of God is built on? The temple of God is built on people who lie at the gate of waiting day after day after day after day, waiting for God to show up. And I want you to know that the kingdom is filled and the temple is filled with those who have. Because God showed up in the perfect timing. In the perfect way. But I want you to know that any of you who have laid by that gate, even for one hour, have you ever noticed how, how, how pain has this, this, this lasting effect? Have you ever noticed how depression has a lasting effect? Have you ever noticed how despair, one moment of despair feels like an eternity? One moment of hopelessness seems to last an eternity. It's why we have suicide rates soaring. It's why we have drug use soaring. Because we just want that pain to go away. If anyone knew that despair, if anyone knew that hopelessness, if anyone wanted to give up, I guarantee you that it is the lame beggar lying at this gate. There's only one thing that keeps you in the gate waiting. There's only one thing. There's only one thing that keeps us in that posture of life waiting, accepting that without Christ, we can do nothing. And that's believing that he is going to show up. And those of us who have experienced him, every one of you in this room have experienced him. My friends, in that moment of despair, all we have to recall is that he showed up before. He's going to show up again. He just wants us to wait. Just wait. Now here's what we don't like to hear. God's glory and the amazement of God's people is based on us waiting. It's based on us waiting. When I hear your testimonies, when I hear God step into your moments, your moments that are filled with grief, filled with, 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 with longing, filled with loss. When God shows up, all of our lives are changed forever. When you come running into the temple, when you come running into this new temple in the presence of God, we all dance. We all celebrate. Because you waited. We wait. Second Timothy, I'm going to close with this. <clears throat> Back to where I started. Second Timothy, I'm going to read the whole context here. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 14. I hope I've been faithful in doing this this morning. It says this in verse 14, chapter two of second Timothy. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins its hearers. 
Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are these individuals. They've swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. My friend, when we start trying to tell other people what we think God is saying or God is doing, let's go back to the scriptures and actually speak the very words of God. The Holy Spirit is not an individual of opinion, I want you to know. He's a one of foundational and unmovable truth. Verse 19, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his and that everyone who names the Lord leave sin, leave iniquity, leave these struggles behind. Verse 20. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable. Set apart as holy and useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. My friends, the master of the house wants to use you and me. And we don't know how. We don't know how he wants to use us. Often, he will use us most greatly because we're lying on the side of the road, struggling, not feeling like we're able to move, not feeling like we're able to overcome. That beggar, he lied there and he waited for God to move and he was ready to accept in anticipation what God had. Verse 22, flee youthful passions. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. <coughs> the news. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. My friends, we're in a real spiritual battle. And Paul writes in Corinthians, he actually says, listen, the weapons of our, of this battle are not of this world. They're not carnal. This is literally what it says. The weapons that we use to battle are not of this world. So when you look around the temple, when you look around for these weapons, they look very, very different. So as you go throughout your week, I'm going to ask you to, to go through the temple of God. I'm going to ask you to look for the weapons that are in our armory. Some of them are these powerful, powerful weapons. Some of them just hang on the wall as a portrait. And he even points them out. Faith. Take faith off the wall. Take faith off the wall. This is what marks the house of God. 
love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Look to your left, look to your right. Think about those who love the Lord as much as you do. And I want to throw that in there. I say to my son, I, 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 I say, Kai, I want you to understand friendship by how much I love you. If your friends don't treat you like I treat you, then they're not your best friends. Right? Who are the people in your lives that love you the way that God loves? Those are the ones that you can trust. Please, please, please don't be go getting advice from people who love the Lord less than you do. Okay, this is just real practical. Don't go get advice from people who love the Lord less than you do. This is foolishness. What'd you say? And it's simple. We get so starving for any type of attention, any type of insight, any type that, that we'll just receive something because, oh, I'll try that. No, please go throw to the people that love God like you do or more than you do. Look around the temple and see what is hanging on the walls. Simply says right there, pursue righteousness. What does pursuing righteousness mean? It means going around the temple of God and looking at how it's decorated, how it's furnished. It's furnished with life and love and gentleness. Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, long-suffering, patience, right? Goodness. It's all over God's house. All over God's house. Stare at those pictures for a while. Think about those stories for a while. This is what pursuing righteousness is. Pursuing righteousness is staring and contemplating and holding on to the stories of God so that they become our stories.